Welcome to episode 116 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Connor McSheffrey. He's a photographer, designer, most recently at Dropbox and at Visco before that. We He's dig also in- an engineer. Yeah, and an engineer. We dig into his background, how he got into engineering and how he got into design, how he made the move to SF, and tons of other cool stuff. Before we get into that, though, we have two sponsors we want to thank for making this episode possible. First up, you guessed it, Dropbox. Dropbox is this syncing service that handles your files for you and keeps them across all your devices in the background so you don't have to do any extra work, but you still get the benefit of having them synced completely. And it's super fast, super simple, easy to set up all of your files on all of your devices all the time. So if you drop your phone or your computer explodes, no problem. Your files are safe in the cloud. We use it here at Spec. We keep all of our files organized and synced across our computers and our phones and tablets and all that kind of stuff. Helps us with recording and editing. We use a lot of tablets in our recording process. It's a thing. We're an iPad heavy operation. (laughs) Uh, No, but Dropbox is really, really invaluable. It makes it really easy to collaborate. So you can share huge files by just sending a link. You don't have to worry about uploading and downloading all this stuff just to send someone a file. You can comment in line on files. So if you're a designer, you can share mocks with your team and get feedback right on the file. There's an online interface. So people like Brian used to be can be very specific and make a lot of extra work for themselves. Or you can just download the app and let it sync in the background. It's great. Which I do now. Yes. Good man. Good man. And once files are synced up, you can just send links. You don't need to have everyone download every single thing you send. That's totally cool. Just send them a link. They can view it in line. It's dead simple to use. We can't recommend them enough. To check them out, go to dropbox.com and get started. Thanks once again to Dropbox for sponsoring the show. Our next sponsor. A new one. Look at that. A new sponsor. Uh, This time it's Etsy. They've actually helped us out in the past. Uh, We've done a live show at their offices last November. They have an amazing, amazing team of people like... Floris Decker, Jason Huff, Aaron Moody, Randy Hunt, uh, Jessica Harley. They brought people up like Diana Mounter, Cap Watkins, Kim Bost. Just amazing people on their team. And now they're looking for more people to join that team. They're hiring product designers and they want us to let you know that you should go work for them. Uh, Not only is it a chance to sharpen your design skills, but you also have the chance to impact millions of creative people that use Etsy every single day. And they have a really cool office. Uh, We got to visit there in November. It's in Brooklyn. Gorgeous view of the city across the water. It's an office that you would imagine an Etsy office looks like. It's creative. It's fun. Uh, The people there are amazing, of course. And just as a little side note, they also offer six months of parental leave for their employees, which means that they care about their people. It's not uh, It's not a machine. You're going there to work with a really awesome group of diverse people, talented designers that we love, and they want you to join them. They also wanted to mention that, that you get to experience the important professional creative development opportunity. They like to call their annual Crazy Bananas Good Halloween Party. So we haven't been to that Halloween party, but since they specifically I guess asked we're going us now? to I don't include know. it... It must be a really wild party. I think if they wanted us to talk about it, that means it's an invitation and we should definitely go. All right. So we're going to be there in October. And if you want to join us uh, at the Etsy office for their Bananas Good Halloween party, go to etsy.com slash careers. Check out their product designer listing. They're hiring. Join them. It's an amazing team. They have an office in SF too, so you can come hang out with us. Yeah. So do that. Uh, can't recommend them enough. Love their team. Thank you so much again to Etsy for sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get into episode 116 with Connor McSheffrey. 
Hey, I'm Connor McSheffrey. I'm a freelance graphic designer and photographer, uh, previously at Dropbox and Visco. Boom. That was like a Twitter bio. Yeah. That's super clean. I think that was your Twitter bio. I think it's verbatim. Really? I forgot the, the dash or the colon. <laughs> I didn't say out loud that there was a, a dash a in there. In between the words. <laughs> uh, very recently at Dropbox. Very recently. Up until two weeks ago. Yeah. So what are you up to now? Um, I've gone back to freelancing full time. I, I did freelance for about a year before I started at Dropbox uh, full time. So uh, it feels nice to, to return to that. Like I miss the freedom and control over my own work and then like getting able to like ship frequently and work on like a wider variety of projects. So but do you do you feel like it's a grass is always greener scenario? It really is though, because I've like switched between full time and freelance like every other year, and like <laughs> you're super happy to return to freelancing, and then at the end of the year, you're just like, give me a steady paycheck and tell me what to do. I think that's mm-hmm. what John Gold is saying in yeah. the last episode. Uh, John and Linda, yeah, but yep. he just he just left like a month ago. Yeah, right? but he's like he's already he like, already misses it. I can go work on all these things, and you're like, wait, I need money to work on all these things. <laughs> so you've got momentum or are you taking some time to chill um it's been a mix of both like a bunch of people have reached out and it's just been pretty fun uh catching up with everyone and just like seeing the different projects that people are working on uh i've got like some contract work that i'm finishing up that i was working on uh on top of while i was at dropbox and then like following up with like some some new leads yeah uh, do you feel like you have the freelance stuff down to to a science at this point or are you still trying to to navigate like that transition no i feel like i feel like there's people who do it really well like dan dan petty for one or john holman or really schoolmates uh they're just like the freelance like gods or like icons they just like do it so well <laughs> the freelance gods <laughs> but not you but not me i i don't think i've like nailed like the invoicing and like billing and like tracking like the the management side like i love the the boring parts the boring yeah exactly maybe they just have someone that pay you (laughs) yeah yeah you forget that you have to like make money at the end of it at some point it's generally good to do that yeah so for someone that has never never gone down that path talk to me a little bit about you've never freelanced i have but like it's freelanced in air quotes and that you were doing it for free, like free freelancing? No, like I was getting paid, but it was... In food? I guess it was freelancing. I just don't consider it freelancing because I had no clue what the hell I was doing. I don't, I don't think anyone does. Okay. That's kind of how it works, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think like, it I, I was a total fraud. Freelance <laughs> is this like romantic concept of like, be your own boss, make a bunch of money, like charge ridiculous prices if you want to, whatever. But it doesn't always work out that way. Like it's, it's a hard thing. Yeah. So, okay. So for someone that has very little experience doing it, like talk to me a little bit about how you've kind of set yourself up and maybe what you've learned, like the common pitfalls to avoid, especially now that you're jumping back into it. Um, yeah, I think it was, it was a lot harder when I lived in Phoenix and didn't have like the connections or like name for yourself that you kind of make as a designer, like living in San Francisco. Uh, so I feel like living out here, you just 
almost bombarded with opportunities. <laughs> you really have to fuck up to not get them. <laughs> yeah, you really do though. Like, <laughs> well. and then I think the hardest part is like, especially out here, is just like saying no because like you want to work on all these things, but then like you push yourself like beyond your limits. Well, let's come back to the freelancing stuff because you also do a little bit of coding as well. Yeah. So actually, mostly, mostly coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started out as a front-end engineer. Uh, I worked in like the agency world for like three years before coming out here. And then it was like gradually became like more of a mix of like engineering and design as I uh, transitioned from like Visco to Dropbox. Um, so were you an engineer at Visco? Yeah. Uh, Visco was like... 25% design and like 70% code like okay more like a little bit more design at Dropbox because on Dropbox you worked on brand marketing yeah so was that all design no code uh no it was like a lot of it was like a lot of code too oh doing the the landing pages and sign up forms and stuff like that yeah yeah gotcha gotcha okay cool back to the freelancing but yeah I think we didn't really get an answer on kind of how you found your your rhythm or workflow, or maybe you can talk about some tools and things that you found that work really well. Yeah, I think like on your own, it's easy to like not set a schedule for yourself and just kind of like, like you wing it, right? Wing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like you kind of have to like treat it exactly like your day job and like force yourself into like a nine to five rhythm to uh, make sure you're like actually getting everything you've done mm-hmm. that you like set out to accomplish. I can't get work done on my own unless it's like between midnight and 3 a.m. Yeah. Like I'm just not going to function otherwise. It's really bad. I have to like go be in a place where I'm around other people. Otherwise, I'm just going to struggle. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, talk a little bit more. How do you set the schedule for yourself? I know for me, it's hard to be at home. I get distracted being in my own home. Did you work from home today? I did work from home. Did your roommate work from home today? Yes. I got shit done. I think it's important to like mix it up for yourself. Like... If you like work from home and work for one day, like go mm-hmm. work from like a co-working space or like mm-hmm. a coffee shop the next day. So like you're at least like in front of people and you don't go like stir crazy, like doing laundry and like playing with your cats at home. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm guessing, I'm guessing cats, this happened. Yeah. I just have a cute dog named Taco and he's, <laughs> and he's perfect. Really. Stir so. crazy, doing laundry and playing with cats. <laughs> I've, I've never had that problem. Well, I think when you're at home, like other like you like see things that like need to be done and those like come up before work and you're like you seem like isolate yourself sometimes do do those things which i'm particularly bad at like i kind of prioritize them last i do them like super fast that's just not something i spend a lot of time on if Hmm. i'm gonna do it i'm just gonna do it as quickly as i possibly can and then i'll just stare at my computer for a while trying to get work done and mm. end up on Twitter 35 times. Ugh, Twitter, dude. The, the times when I open like a second tab of Twitter are the worst. <laughs> Man, I've scrolled. I've seen all the tweets on Twitter. Yeah, Can you see something new, new now? New tab, yeah. twitter.com. Shit. <laughs> I realized that like halfway through typing, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> God damn it. I'm addicted. It's even worse when it's a second tab of Facebook, which I don't actually like like Facebook. So yeah, and you I know still it's like end up guilt scrolling. Yeah. yeah. How do you deal with that now that you're you're back on the loose i like usually have to like block like social media like i edit my like etc host file and just like block out like anything you manually do it yeah there's apps that do that for you on a scheduled <laughs> basis but like it's easy to just do myself 
<laughs> There's easier ways. Input all those entries. No, I mean you just like comment and uncomment them out. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Let's back up a bit. Because you started as an engineer, you got into design. Yeah. Let's go a little bit before that. Where are you from? Um. So I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and then uh, my family uprooted when I was about four and five years old, like mm-hmm. 94, 95. Uh, and we moved to Prague. Uh, oh, shit. Czech Republic. Wow. We ended up living in Europe for about 12 years. Crazy. Why Prague? Uh, my parents moved there for work. Mm-hmm. What was that like growing up there? Um, it was a pretty crazy time to be there. Cause this was about like four or five years after like the Velvet Revolution and like communism had like pretty recently ended. And so it was a cu- uh, country that was going through like pretty rapid change and like pretty quick like westernization. So it was pretty crazy to be there like in the midst of that. But then at like, the same time, I was like four or five years old so i wasn't exactly taking it all in you're like oh this is pretty chill this is yeah this is normal did you grow up learning czech yeah i went to the i went to a czech school for like the first two or three years and then like switched to like a private british school while i was there so i got to learn like the full like history of like the kings and queens of england it's, Ooh, like, super fascinating. exciting <laughs> yeah that's crazy did your parents always know that you were going to come back to the states then at some point instead of just fully immersing you in the Czech system, I guess. Yeah, I think I think we knew we were gonna come back, but it just wasn't like we weren't sure like for mm-hmm. how long. Yeah, yeah. So when you came back when you were twelve? Twelve years later. So sixteen. Oh, 16. 16. It was like sophomore year of high school. Oh man. So you just got dropped back into the US school system. Yeah. What was that like? It was a pretty crazy change going from like a high school of like five hundred. It was like another private school we lived in croatia uh and then we oh you went to croatia Croatia in between yeah we lived there for two years as well uh and then yeah i went to like a high school of like three thousand. uh it was a lot harder to like find yourself in like a crowd or like group of like students like that Mm -hmm. big yeah uh where where did you end up back in the states uh we moved back to phoenix for a couple more years and then finished finished high school and like some college before moving out here in like 2012 so like three and a half years ago did you finish college no i dropped out of community college when i lived in phoenix nice you and bryn like where your head's at oh nice community college too no no both dropouts just a dropout both dropouts yeah college dropout i think that's one of the best decisions i ever made like i don't think i would have gotten any value out of sticking around for another year so Mm. You only had one year left and you still quit. I had, uh, technically I had one quarter left or one semester left, oh but I didn't like what I was doing. So I would have had to do another year and a half to get something else. Yeah. So I was doing audio engineering and I was like, well, this isn't going to get me a job anywhere. <laughs> like, I mean, besides like podcasting. Well, okay. But this is six years later. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right? Like, dude, you could have been a huge, you could have been a podcaster mogul by now. Inadvertently. What was your, your story on, on dropping out? Oh, uh, so I was studying like business management at the time because I wanted something that would like balance out the internships I had doing like front end coding at these agencies and like business management seemed like the right thing to mm-hmm. be able to fall back on. And then, uh, totally burned myself out, like working full time, doing like 17 credits and then like freelancing on top of that. I just like wanted to die at the end of that. So, uh, I like 
dropped a bunch of my classes. Eventually, I just like worked as an agency full time. That point, right? If you feel like you're going into a field where you're already earning money and it's a field that doesn't place as much value on education as other fields. Yeah, because it was a difficult decision, like figuring out like what I wanted to do because like computer science seemed like the right thing. But like everyone I talked to said that like what you learned like wasn't directly applicable. Like it wasn't like real world world experience. It was like an older version of like Java or uh, just like it it wouldn't like prepare you for like what you wanted to do later on. So how did you learn? I was self-taught and then uh, through working at internships. Well, why was this an interesting thing for you? What made you want to build stuff in code? Yeah. So while I was at this uh, private school in the Czech Republic, we had this like computers multimedia class uh, where they like taught us like, this was like early version of like HTML and CSS. And like they had us like build our own web page and like sixth grade using like tons of like scrolling marquees and blink tags yes. and like Microsoft Paint. Nice. Was there any other way to design them? No. Yeah, I think that was like the standard back then. <laughs> marquee inside a marquee inside a marquee, blink, blink, blink. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's probably like the entire the entire code of my page. <laughs> but it was pretty cool because like from an early age, I was like able to like build these things like basically just using like notepad and like no other tools and then like release this on like GeoCities for like the whole <laughs> whole like world to see. And it was just like a really empowering thing, like mm-hmm. especially like being in like sixth or seventh grade. And so from then I would always just like tinker with stuff from that and like try and teach myself like JavaScript just by like checking out like the O'Reilly book with like the zebra on it at the library. <laughs> and, like don't know the title? Know the animal. Know the animal. <laughs> But it was hard because I didn't have anyone to like mentor me through that. So like I would get to like different stages of like alerts and then just be like, I don't, I don't know how to move mm-hmm. past this. Um, how'd you get over those hurdles? I feel like if I'd hit a hurdle of like one thing, I would just like keep trying another. So like I wasn't getting far like learning JavaScript, but then I would just like play around with some stuff with like PHP and like try and learn like expression engine or like mm-hmm. WordPress. And mm-hmm. uh, was that helpful to just jump from language to language? It probably wasn't the most like efficient way of learning, but at the time of just like trying to teach myself, it was kind of like this value in getting away from a problem too. So you, yeah. if you're solving a different problem while getting away from that one problem, like kind of stew on it. Like, yeah. I don't know. I find that super valuable. Like when I'm beating my head against something, I like, go walk to a coffee truck and get coffee. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, that's like my A number one move. Yeah. Your A number one move. <laughs> it's the only move I got, Brian. Okay? It was kind of trying to figure out, like, what angle of, like, tech I wanted to, like, get into and just, like, try a bunch of different things. So it was, like, trying to, like, dual boot Linux and like run some like <laughs> crazy like separate second operating system on my computer and like play around with like do you guys ever use like Compiz Fusion or something it was like this no. crazy like <laughs> Linux software that would like add these ridiculous like digital effects to your operating system so it would like make the windows all like wobbly and like <laughs> anytime you close something it would just like erupt in flames or like the desktop oh, would just be like a river of like 
movement or something. Uh, I just remember having a PC and wanting a Mac so bad. Like the Mac was the dream. So I installed all the... The, the fake the operating fake, system. The fake yeah, operating system too. themes that fuck with your computers. It was like fly kite or It was like something. Yeah, yeah it was something. like make your computer just run like so, so slow. slow. Yeah. But you can have a dock. But it looked so cool. And it looked so good. <laughs> it didn't matter that it didn't And work. then I got a Mac like, yes, I finally made it. Yeah. What was your first Linux distro? Mm, it was like SUS KDE and then like Ubuntu with GNOME. I went Gen 2 first, and that was very hard to install for someone who had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. I, like, considered myself, like, from, like, day one, I was like, I like computers. I, I must be good at them. I will take them <laughs> apart. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Therefore, I know this. I'm an IT professional. <laughs> this sounds great. <laughs> I would I would always just, like, get to a certain point where I would just, like, destroy the whole, like, operating mm-hmm, system. Pretty much. Have to, like, read, yep. reformat it and, like, create a new new version of it like i think one there's... time i think i tried to install uninstall like python i think I in trying... like linux and it's yeah. like one of the main languages it's I... like built on so it just like slowly <laughs> oh, just started, like shit, i didn't mean to do that yeah i just like slowly like <laughs> fell apart command c command my, car- my yeah. parents kept being like brin broke the computer i'm like no it's just not done yet like <laughs> it's it's in progress it's gonna be really good when it's done yeah but you know what? i love that process actually it's it I'm seems like frustrating at the time of yeah. just deleting all the stuff you've done and starting over and the next time you do it, you're 10 times faster, 10 times more efficient. You get all, over all the hurdles that kind of fucked you up along the way. Then you get back to where you were really quickly and you have a much cleaner representation of what you're trying to achieve. It teaches yeah. you to use the defaults. <laughs> yeah. Or like not break things too badly. And yeah. You can't like get back to where you started from. But Design I think metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so the process of like playing around with that, like building your own PC, like that was like always like super fun when you would just like mm. rip it apart and like put parts together and yeah, like see if awesome. it would actually like work. Does this fit in this port? Yeah. Nope. nope. <laughs> wrong, wrong CPU. It explodes. But yeah, like You're having... buying your own computers. <laughs> Those are actually bombs. I've, ne- I've never built a computer. It, it was like so much fun. Building a PC you know, is super like, fun. What? It's like modding out like a car or something. And shopping sure. for all of it is like kind of a hassle, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of good tools for it these days, but like late nineties, it was pretty hmm. hard. Hmm. Yeah. Or like early two thousands. You're kinda on your own. Like huh. figuring out if Super like that fun, part though. would actually like work together. Yep. Power supplies and motherboards yeah. and cooling systems and like all that shit. But having a Mac back then was like the dream. Dude. Like do you guys ever like go to like their website as a kid and just like configure out like the sickest like Mac Pro with like as all a the kid? specs? Yeah. Dude, I did that today. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted a Mac, but like I knew that my parents were going to buy me one. Yeah. So I was like, okay. I saw Kevin Rose talk about Hackintosh on the screensavers. Yeah. <laughs> I should figure out how to build a Hackintosh. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the trick. Mm-hmm. That's like the sweetest setup. Did you actually do it? No. No. I tried real hard. I was like, these are the parts I have. My parents will not buy me computer parts. They'll only buy like whole computers and they're always shitty ones. Mm. How can I combine the parts from whole actually, computers like, to put figure it out? Together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't work at all. Yeah. It has Not to be like once. a very specific set of parts that like yep. are actually in like a Mac for it to like recognize all these parts are okay and I can actually boot. It has to do that ding ding thing at the, at yeah. the startup. Yeah. So hard to get to that point. Yeah. So many like failed like find hard drive things and like just complete failures. Yeah. So you tinkered like crazy. At what point did you kind of narrow in on understanding or having a better knowing of what you wanted to focus on and learn and get better at um it was 
there was always like a random group of projects like uh like i built a website in high school that would like link to all these like pirated like tv shows and movies on like daily motion or youtube and like got my first like dmca takedown notice nice like, dude nice <laughs> year. yeah yeah it's like pretty exciting um it's pretty terrifying when you first get one right like you're like oh shit i'm a teenager oh i didn't do anything wrong i swear to god <laughs> delete everything yeah i guess i wasn't sure if i wanted to do web development or like the software side of things until like uh junior year of high school so it was like after we moved back to the States, uh, we were back in Phoenix. I started working for this agency that did like a little bit of like web development work on the side, but uh, mostly they worked on like their main app, which was called uh, ShotZoom. And it was like really beautiful for like the time. This was like an iPhone 3G had just come out and they had like, they won like Apple Design Award of the Year for like their app. So I was like, helping them do like data entry stuff they came up with this software where you could like map out the distance from like uh as a golfer like teeing off from like the different uh pars and like obstacles using like google maps to like map out all that like geo coordinate data and then that would get like fed back into the app so like the person using it could just be like uh these are like the distance for like Hmm. everything in the game Mm -hmm. at like some golf club so I was like working on that uh, as like my first kind of like tech job, I guess I would say. And then like once a month, they would throw me like a random like, here's some like HTML and CSS fixes to do for this site. And like that was the stuff that was a lot more fun because it was like more like design related, kind of like yeah. tweaking like the site's uh, layout. So like, I knew I wanted to do more of that. So after about a year there, I left to join this Ruby on Rails shop that was also in Phoenix. And there they taught me like a little bit more about uh, front-end dev and gave me like a broader understanding of like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And then that company didn't get the clients they needed. And so they like laid off a bunch of people. And then I was like, well, that was a dead end. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure at that point if there was like a career for me in like web development. It's like... I worked there and like worked at like a couple other like smaller like agency shops and like they also weren't getting like the type of web projects that like I wanted to work on. So I was kind of like, maybe this isn't the right career path. Like maybe I should like keep going on like this business management trajectory and like college. Um, but then I like lucked out super hard. Uh, I got this amazing internship at an agency called Terra Lever. Um, it's also still in Arizona. Uh, and they just had like the coolest like range of like clients. Like they were doing like- You worked with Red Bull, right? Yeah. They do like a ton of work with like Red Bull, DC Shoes, Quicksilver. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And you come to learn that like Red Bull just like will sponsor like anything. Uh, we just like work on like sites for like skateboard competitions, like motocross stuff. They did that crazy uh, jump from space or whatever mm-hmm. where they yeah. had the guy like... Felix Baumgartner? Yeah. I've got a good Red Bull sponsorship story. Do you? Okay. I used to run a music website and we wanted to throw a concert. And we went approached these Red Bull guys and asked them to sponsor our concert. And they said, no, 
but give us your address and we'll send you some some it's Red free Bull. Red Bull. So we were in college at the time. It's final season. We get a knock on the doorbell. A knock on the doorbell. That's we, how doorbells. Someone. Work. Yes. Someone. Oh. <laughs> someone knocked on the door. Ding, ding, ding. Someone knocked on the doorbell. It was really annoying. We open up the Red Bull little Mini Coopers outside. They gave us a pallet of Red Bull, hundreds and hundreds of Red Bull. We couldn't fit them in a fridge, the little eight-ounce ones. Red Stampede. Yes. And we had Red Bull for finals, and I was forever- and for the next three years. <laughs> and I was forever, yeah. forever grateful. Can you not drink them anymore? Did you like wear uh, yourself out on it? No, I still drink Red Bull at, at an embarrassingly alarming rate. Yeah. One per day. One per day. That's real alarming. Yeah. It's not good for you. They got you like addicted with the palate. I think Amp is worse. Yeah, I used to drink Amp, used to drink Monster, all that I shit. I really liked Amp in college. Um, but yeah, they like Red Bull sponsors the yeah. like the craziest mm-hmm. events. Was it like the auto? The flugged. Yeah, Flugkoffen with I don't know what the German word is for something with like the planes like it's like has wings. Yeah. Try to fly. Yeah. I don't know. Isn't that in the Bay Area? I feel like that. I don't know. There was one in Minnesota where I was yeah. from. But yeah, I got to work on like all the websites for like for mm-hmm. stuff like that and like all these different like really cool events. And it was just, like an awesome start to like learning web development from this internship. Mm-hmm. Uh, like eventually came on like for like a full time role there. I feel like working for a company that has clients, whether it's like client services specifically or not is like the best way to get a good resume because you can say here's the clients i've worked for like right but they're just the ones that like the agency exactly but man like satisfied clients red bull (laughs) like that's pretty rad dc shoes well i think that's absolutely true and it's actually really good advice for anyone who's starting out so i'm curious how you actually linked up with the the agency tara lever Uh, friend of a friend i think it was like classic method it's probably like a craigslist posting back then really for like wow. looking for like web development crazy or like maybe maybe it was like a nicer job site maybe it was like authentic jobs or something <laughs> i kind of i kind of remember it being craigslist wait talk talk to me a little bit about what what you were doing at the time the mindset you're browsing craigslist looking for jobs doing web development what was yeah what was that like so like i said like the the internship at that like one like real shop didn't mm-hmm. work out and mm-hmm. so I was still, I was trying to figure out if like, uh, I was still like kind of not sure if I can make a career out of it. Um, was that like a, it kind of, yeah, I just felt mom like mom and dad are shutting down. It's my fault kind of thing. Like, it sounds like you took it pretty personally. No, 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 no. I think, uh, it's like development shop just like didn't get the, the clients they, they needed. So mm-hmm. it, it sucked because it was like two months into like me, like leaving this other role, but like I oh, knew it was because it. like. I wasn't going to learn what I wanted to there. So I felt like it was like the right stepping stone anyways, even if it didn't end up working out at this one spot because it led to uh, working at the, at, at Terra Lever. Who you found on Craigslist. So you, in a state of questioning and ambiguity, you turned to Craigslist to answer your career questions. Misconnections has all the answers. <laughs> the great oracle of our age, Craigslist. That's awesome. Okay, so uh, how long did you end up working at Terra Lever? I worked there for... About about a year, mm-hmm. and then they switched to focusing on like more uh, strategy for brands and like kind of toned down like a lot of their like web development work. So I went to this other agency in Phoenix called Melt Media, um, and that was a great experience because this was like right 
when like responsive web design was like kind of just taking off like before this it was kind of just like here's like the full-fledged like beautiful like desktop site and here's like maybe like fully static with like click maps based on absolute positioning and ridiculousness yeah. and then like mobile was just like this here's our address to like the place mm-hmm. yes. like this mm-hmm. like super like subpar experience and so this was like right when like ethan marco's like a list apart but came marco, out yeah. yeah about Marcotte. Uh, is it marcot or marco uh, i don't know it's, it's french m-a-r-c-o-t-t-e yeah so like that was just taking off as like I started this agency and it was kind of like a new way of doing like web design because basically like a lot of these sites had to be re rebuilt to have both these like desktop and mobile versions. Uh, and so again, it felt like each one of these, like each one of these jobs just like, built on each other and it was kind of like uh each job kind of like kept up with the pace like as like web development was advancing versus like the ex- teaching or like experience i knew i would have gotten in school would have been like uh behind so far like mm-hmm. behind like mm-hmm. what was what was current totally when did the san francisco bug creep into your mind um so i'd gone to like a couple of different conferences while i worked at melt media um it was like texas js and uh not event apart uh what's future insights like the future web design Mm -hmm. future Mm -hmm. web apps and so like talking to designers out there or like engineers it seemed like it felt like there was like a cap almost to like your potential as like a designer or an engineer when you were living uh, in these other cities. The growth definitely slows at a point. Yeah. Whereas here it feels like it lifts. Yeah. And it felt like it was hard to get excited because like the design community was so small. Yeah. Like I know it's like, I think it's gotten like a lot better in Phoenix uh, since I left. Like I know Jeremy Goldberg was like there up until like, mm-hmm. a couple years ago. And like he mm-hmm. said, like stuff's like taken off a lot more. But like at the time that I was there, it was just, it was it was hard to get excited about and mm-hmm. it was like hard to like find people who are in like the same situation as you. So it was also different design communities. Like yeah. Minneapolis where I'm from, it's all like advertising and print design. Yeah. Like that's all you get. But there's like a big design community and it kind of just sprung up because communities are now a thing in like industries. Like people mm-hmm. want to be around similar people and the internet makes that better. But I mean, like there wasn't when I was there, even like two, three years ago, there wasn't mm-hmm. a big one because everyone was doing like these print and ad things and they were all competing with each other. Yeah. It was like so spread out and like so distributed across like different like uh, facets of design that didn't feel like one cohesive community. Um, Totally. And so like going to these conferences, like you see people who are like coming from these bigger cities and they're, they're like super psyched up about like the design communities from like where they're from and like talking to people, they're, just like this is like the move like you want to make if like you want to like pursue this further it makes such a difference yeah it's insane i don't know if it was like to say that like everyone's like limited like by like staying in the city that they're in like i just knew it was like the right decision for me yeah i think we get some shit for for the way we talk about san francisco because Brynn and i do we yeah 
it's like everyone talking about how great the party is and there are some people have constraints where they can't go to that party yeah and that's not to say that you can't still be successful and still be still be a well-regarded designer i think of like dan mall in philly like holy shit right like he's obviously doing incredibly well for himself outside of sf and i I think that's important to remember i'm just adding a caveat the community aspect is why we created this show in the first place yes yeah you and i both come from places where there are not design communities and we wanted to share what the value that we get here i know i know i'm just building off what he was saying like you feel like there's a cap i agree but there is still just looking at it so negatively it's not the end all be all you're pulling a brin and being like angsty (laughs) Uh uh-uh not angsty it can be a positive thing people can share it I think, I think the we've all had great experiences here. Yeah. I highly encourage it, but there are, are obviously some people who have constraints that that it's not. It might be quite a so simple. privileged approach to it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, like it comes off as like almost entitled by like being like like you said, like how great the party is like here. But I think like for me being like in my early twenties, like having that community was super important. I think designers like Dan Mall like probably got that like through school or through like he some other worked with uh who's the guy who built the internet what's his name uh zeldman yeah, yeah. jeffrey zeldman yeah <laughs> that was like his internship or his first thing out of school was working was with it was jeff zeldman and jason santa maria <laughs> and like yeah. the ogs and actually eric all those guys don't live in sf yeah they all live in new york yeah which philly is ridiculously close to yeah but you realize that this is the place you wanted to come to i think it was like more like personally impactful and mm-hmm. not like not like advice like that i would give like for everyone it's not general it's specific yeah totally um so i mean so at that point like i knew i knew i wanted to like leave phoenix and either go to like a city like uh new york or sf and so like applied to a bunch of places um and i had recently gotten really excited about this app called uh visco cam that Yep. Either, I think it was either like Phil Kaufman or like Jeremy Cohort had like tweeted about it. Um, I was obsessed with it. And yeah. I was like so bad at photography too. But it was. <laughs> I just really loved using it. It felt like super unique for its time too, because this was like before I was seven and before like kind of flat design became like a yeah. trendy thing. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like that app like stood out as like this very like sexy and like unique looking design well it was one of the few like ios apps that were flat but at the time like right before ios 7 everyone was like ios has to go flat at this revision for like two years beforehand yeah it's crazy it was on point with where people wanted their apps to be Mm -hmm. yeah right like that's how it felt well so keep going so you'd heard about this app um it was fashiony it's very (laughs) fashiony yeah exactly so yeah i'd like just started like using it for like photography at that point and then uh i saw that they were looking for like a web developer out here in san francisco uh so i interviewed with them over the phone without like was that like for visco grid uh yeah at the time it was for uh visco sites which was like they they'd plan on building like a Squarespace competitor, which like eventually like crazy morphed, morphed into Visco Grid, like as they, as like Visco Cam like took off and like they saw like how people were like creating content uh, with their phones. Um, but yeah, they did like a two hour like Google Hangout or Skype call and like interview went well and they ended up moving me out to 
Crazy. out to SF. Mm-hmm. And this was like me not knowing like anyone out here. The only other experience I'd had in San Francisco was I came out for a conference for like jQuery conference like a year before. And like to show like how much I didn't know about San Francisco, I got this uh, hostel in like the Tenderloin. Uh, well for done. Like $30, $30 a night. I was like, I had no idea. $30 a night. It's crazy. Oh. Like sharing like bunk beds oh. with like these German dudes. Uh, I was like, I didn't, I didn't know what the Tenderloin was. I was. That sounds was, delicious. Like, that sounds, sounds yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, this is like perfectly central. It'll be like super easy to get around. Largest open air drug market in the world. I was Perfect. just like <laughs> scared for my life. Like walking back from the conference every night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It gets, it gets aggressive. I mean, now, now, you know, it's like, pretty harmless it's just like mostly crackheads but at the, t- at the time it was just like you know it's harmless crackheads but like not knowing anything about the air you're just like holy I'm, shit i'm just gonna die tonight for <laughs> yep. sure yep um so that was my only sf experience before coming out here <laughs> this is pretty, i'm guessing you didn't good. move to the tenderloin no uh but yeah so like didn't didn't really know a ton of people out here uh and then so living with linda is a relatively an upgrade yeah compared to compared to the crackheads only compared to the crackheads <laughs> <laughs> your roommates with linda eliason yeah did you guys meet through dropbox uh yeah that was the first time we met we we both worked on like the same first project together which was like redesigning our careers page it was yeah it was pretty crazy because it was like my first project there and she was kind of like thrown into it too so we like both had no idea like what we were doing and i was still like a contractor with them at the time so i really had no idea like like no onboarding just contracting to like build out like the front end side of this this application so was that one of those freelancing like intermissions that you were talking about yeah that was that was like in between visco and dropbox how was the move from contract to full time there um it was surprisingly really good uh they they treat their like contractors really well like i basically felt like a part of the team and felt like a full-time employee well that's how like ryan putnam and a few others have started too right yeah i think that i I know it doesn't work for like every case but like from what i've seen uh going like contract to full-time like really gives you like a better sense of like what working there is like and like Mm -hmm. that's what i did when i first moved out here was contracted for a company Mm -hmm. yeah I did contract to hire. I think it's a I good buffer. St- it's a good strategy. Yeah, totally. I think it has its cons, but for the most part, it seems like a pro for both parties. Yeah, right. The company gets a chance to actually see how you work. What are the yeah. cons? I don't. I, just I think feel like they can do that for everyone, right? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's expensive It'd be hard for to, like, them. Team that way, exactly. Yeah. But I think in my mind, the con was I could work here for two months and still be rejected whereas the interview process for full-time is like something i'm gonna do a couple days worth of interviews and then i'll know if i got rejected rather than stretching that out but if you you have budget to hire someone it's pretty cheap to fly someone here from literally anywhere in the country maybe anywhere in the world like it's a couple thousand dollars probably tops right yeah i don't think it's cost i think it's more emotional yeah like build build up a team around like people who like might not even work there at the end of like two months but when it works out it works out really well i think yeah you have like both parties feel very very good about about that relationship yeah i think that's like how dropbox ended up hiring like ryan putnam is like i don't know if he ever would have jumped into like a full-time role like Mm. immediately but like 
contracting is kind of like the smooth, like the long con. You're like <laughs> smooth sneak, talking the to them. You're like, all right, I guess, Ryan, I'll, I guess I'll work con, here. Long con Putnam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we we overstepped a bit from this go to Dropbox. Let's talk, hey man, I never overstepped. Okay. Never, not once. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Visco. What was that like working there? Um, it was pretty unique in that I joined when they were like 12 people and I just moved out here not knowing anyone. So it was kind of like joining like a super close, like tight knit family. Like we'd all get lunch and then like play Catan together, like during a lunch break. Classic like, startup. Yeah. Classic startup. <laughs> they were in Oakland though, right? Emeryville? No. When I first moved out here for like the first two months, we worked in an office out in like San Ramon, which is like Crazy. way, way far East Bay, like an hour from here at least. And it looked, we worked in an office that looked like we sold insurance. Uh, nice, dude. But uh, at least there was Catan. Yeah, at least there was Catan. Uh, it was a really cool turning point in that, like, going from making work that had these like strict deadlines and like client expectations into like you have like so much more control and you don't really. There's no like force to like ship until you're like satisfied with like the quality of work that you're shipping or that you're creating. Why is that? I mean, as a startup, you end up like having to ship a lot of things before they're like ideal. Was that because they like sold like physical products as well or? I think Visco was in a very unique position uh, in that they were like self-funded. They built these film packs for Lightroom, which funded them to like work on like visco cam and works on like visco mm-hmm. grid and so the expectation was like we get to build this like high quality product for because they had revenue yeah exactly it certainly mm-hmm. helps yeah that helps a lot and it was yeah it was pretty interesting they went from for like three three years to being like self-funded or bootstrapped before yeah. like taking on any funding it's such a interesting product for me because there's actually a learning curve to using it. Mm-hmm. The UI is not self-explanatory. Yeah. You have to figure out the icons. Yeah. I but think that, that the, learning process is so like endearing. It makes you care about the product and like invested in it. I'm bad at photography, but I loved that that app. I don't know. I Well, let's let's talk about this because the reason I don't use Viscos because I don't think I should have to learn what new icons mm-hmm. mean. The goal of like the heavy use of iconography was like always internationalization since we were like such a small team and like mm-hmm. we're like launching like the version two of Visco Cam. Like did you ever do testing on like how icons worked internationally? Um I'm not sure if we did. That's something I've heard occasionally that I just hadn't considered was that like certain icons mean different things in yeah. different cultures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Icons are hard, man. Paintbrushes I feel like would be pretty like obvious wrenches. Like these are things that people understand. I feel like, but if Brian doesn't get them, I mean, but yeah, it's hard to conceptualize things like sharpen or like highlights. It's totally. well, it's not even that. It was is also icons for navigation, right? Yeah, that was the hardest part for me because yeah. Visco is beautiful, mm-hmm. and when I figured it out, I was able to make some cool modifications to my photos. Mm-hmm. But there was a pretty steep learning curve to get to that point. I think the icons like for navigation do work for like, a lot of people since uh since like clearly it's it's taken off mm-hmm. um but you're because you're also quite a photographer right 
you are a, a good photographer, I would say. Yeah, thanks. I uh, that time I saw your photo of you going across the Golden Gate Bridge with your like oh the motorcycle shiny helmet, helmet and shit. Dude, that did <laughs> I, so well on Reddit. That was yeah, like, it did. Uh, yeah. No, I saw it and I'm like. God, my friend Connor from Dropbox would love this shit. Like, I was so <laughs> tempted to just add that as a comment, but man. yeah, I think that was when I peaked. Like, <laughs> Pete Connor. Yeah, riding over the bridge with the helmet, and then like I saw you getting, at Dropbox like the next and... week, and you're like, "Yeah, that helmet looks so douchey." <laughs> <laughs> how'd, you um, get, how'd you get into photography? Yeah, so it was always something I'd like done on the side with uh, like development and design uh like i took a film class in college and that like taught you like all the patience of like working in a dark room and like how frustrating it can be to try and like dodge and burn your like photo to like look just right photography classes were my favorite in high school yeah just you spend like so much time room. in the dark room it's amazing so you get addicted to that smell i like that way more than actually shooting the mm, photos those yeah. smell like chemicals. chemicals yeah i think they're actually pretty bad for you it's probably like they definitely are yeah um, <laughs> but they smell good. Actually, I don't even remember what they smell like. <laughs> um, so it was like a combination of that, and then uh, I tried like a bunch of different facets of photography. Like I tried like shooting weddings in high school, and then, like found out I hated it because it was like weddings. Yeah, it was way way too stressful. Um, and so I think at a certain point, like I decided not to try and pursue that as a career and to like keep that solely as a as a hobby. Like it felt like it was important to like find something I could pursue that would like I can make a career out of at the same time like keep something that was like purely like for myself uh, mm-hmm. and so uh, after like trying to shoot weddings or like trying to make a business out of it in Phoenix like I kind of like burned myself out in it for a while and then when I came and joined Visco I felt like there was like this pressure because everyone else at Visco <laughs> were like these amazing photographers like our co-founder was like Makes like, sense. Worked in the wedding industry for like ten years, and like everyone else, they were just like so good at what they did. And so I was just like, oh, I really need to like up my photography game. So I think it was kind of like peer pressure that made me like pursue photography more on the side when I moved out here. Imposter syndrome is a positive influence. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think moving out to like California too is like a lot more photogenic everything is beautiful here yeah it's ridiculous we're pretty pretty spoiled like to have like tahoe and like big sur and yosemite all within like even your woods or yeah yeah it's it's yosemite your woods mount tam yeah what are you shooting with usually if i'm shooting like commercial or paid work it'll be with by like d810 uh just like a full frame yeah full frame like nikon dslr and like a 24 70 millimeter or like a 50 millimeter it's usually like mm-hmm. my two go-to lenses um but yeah most of the stuff i post on instagram is all uh iphone just with like visco cam interesting it's a pain in the ass well it's getting easier but it's a pain in the ass to get dslr photos onto your onto your, phone, onto your phone right yeah now they have the apps the new ones with like wi-fi enabled and stuff yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, where that goes. Because, like, right now, like, Lightroom's, like, a pretty, like, mandatory, like, process in between, mm-hmm. like... Totally. Editing your photos if, like, you're on a DSLR. But, like, most new DSLRs have Wi-Fi on them. So you can transfer the JPEGs over to your phone 
or your iPad to edit them, but you can't transfer like the raw files because mm-hmm. uh, they're huge. I, yeah, iPhones just don't have that like processing power yet. But I think in like maybe like the next like one or two like iPhone or iPad versions, like I think like that's just gonna like take off. Like you won't you won't really need like a computer as part of that like editing process. I wonder if that's a benefit. Because, like, the touch screen is, like, such a better, like... Do you think so? UI for editing. Like, for, like, hmm. curves and for, oh, like... interesting. It's just, like, so much more enjoyable versus, like, sitting in front of a computer and, like... Do you think it's as efficient? Um, I think, like, we're probably going to get better and better at, like, porting, like, the design language of, like, editing curves and like editing like photos on to computer touch. to like yeah, yeah. Like, the touch interface like right now it's such fine fine grain yeah fine grain sliders and check boxes and things mm-hmm. like that and if you can yeah it's a good question where that will go because if you have if to you can, if you hmm. have to in air quotes dumb it down to account for our clumsy fingers is it like a better or worse is that better yeah. or worse yeah. yeah whether or not it's more enjoyable more, yeah yeah it's worse <laughs> Bryn is is firm. That'll be great. Like Man. once, like cloud services between like editing photos gets better. Either between like, <laughs> like making multiple manufacturers work together on cloud services. This should be fun. <laughs> but if you could like take your edits between like what's on like your iPhone or like iPad in like Lightroom and like sync that with like what's on the the desktop, like. It'd be, it'd be so nice to be able to just, like switch back and forth between the two interfaces without like losing like your your edits or like what you're working on. As long as Adobe doesn't force it to be Creative Cloud. Yeah. Man, a third party person like Dropbox would be pretty great there. Filling that gap. It's like they're good at it or something. Huh. I don't know. Interesting how that works. Weird how app makers decide they all need their own cloud services. Uh, what was the highlight of like the Adobe event last week? There was an Adobe event last week? Yeah, they had like some new like prototyping. Oh, tool. Adobe XD. Adobe ex- experience. Experience design. design. It was yeah. Project Comet. I haven't used it. I don't know. I don't I know anything about it. I was on the beta. I, Is it I, good? I purposely didn't use it because their NDA was overly restrictive and I was like, nah, if I can't talk about it, if yeah. I can't. It said, don't talk to your team about using it. I'm yeah. Like, nope. Done. So you still, ha- you still haven't tried it? Nope. I watched the videos and I was like, this doesn't look good yeah. enough for me to like yeah. deal with this NDA. Have you tried it yet, Connor? I haven't used it yet either. Are you going to? I I think it'd be worthwhile. I don't even start Creative Cloud on my computer anymore. Hmm. Really? I have it in case I need it. I don't use it. Really? You can like rely solely on Sketch? Yeah. Sketch and Figma and Principle are my like... Yeah, I don't, use, I don't use Adobe tools I anymore. I use Figma for all my icons. I use Sketch for all my layout and I use uh, Principle for all my prototyping. Interesting. I feel like I always have to go back to Photoshop or Lightroom to like edit any like kind of like more like detailed like photo or like JPEG. Oh, 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 oh. For photos, yeah. Sorry. But even if you yeah, if I use Lightroom. Yeah. Photo. I don't take enough photos to yeah. open it often. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we were talking about UI design. I'm like, wait, uh, what? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> if uh, I need to like retouch a photo for a mock, you know, <laughs> I'll throw, throw that bad boy in add Photoshop. Some more contrast. <laughs> This mock has to be perfect. I used <laughs> Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer for a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of... Uh, those are my first options over going to an Adobe product. Yeah. But it just feels like Adobe doesn't care about those things. It wants its like old niche markets that it had. Yeah. It wants to care, 
but not enough to actually like make a good tool. Like huh. experience design feels the same way to me. I, I just watched all the videos. Like I didn't yeah. I didn't use it to be clear. It just like they had some things which were basically like make grid yeah. with live it data. Like, they're, like kind of playing catch up with Sketch now. Yeah, it's like I've had that in Sketch for forever. For like app or like layout design. Mm-hmm. It's a plugin system. Like that's that's not a product. That's a plugin. Yeah, I'm just angsty about it. I'm very frustrated with like what came out of that. What are you most excited about in in the world of photography, uh, especially with the apps and Visco and all these guys kind of competing for for that space of editing and publishing and, and sharing and things like that? Yeah, I think like I said, uh, just getting to the point where like our editing tools are like so much better and like we're designing UI for like that feel right for touch devices and don't feel like they're just ported over from like working on a PC or a Mac. And then with Visco, it's really exciting when like apps like Snapchat are taking off where like photos have become like, so like disposable and like short term, but like people like creating like lasting images that like have like, meaning behind them mm-hmm. i feel like that's like super important that like the only photos are the, like the long-term ones now instead yeah. of being like short video clips and stuff yeah or at least totally. just having having that thing to fall back on but like that we're like leaving behind some right. kind of like artistic thing as a culture and not just like it's like an artifact yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah it's weird that all our artifacts are digital like when you uncover like ancient civilizations or whatever it was all like physical goods i mean our artifacts will be iphones and they'll be like wow they used to maybe though they used or to use these be- clunky clunky things that you had to touch or how, will how they primitive be data that they can open up on, an, on a different better device yeah will like is that where that vr stuff? is leading to no nah, like, dude they <laughs> they won't be able to figure out how to install ruby on their machines yeah. and how do I, it will be forever lost it'll be us trying to like read a floppy <laughs> drive from like 10 years ago yeah, yeah. Someone will take down no but that's actually that's oh, actually that a, to me. Yeah. that's a great metaphor is like nobody has hardware right now except for museums to get data off a floppy drive i floppy can't even disk. read a cd in my can, nobody can read cds so yeah. what but no one's what using is, physical media for it but so like, who cares? But like what's time, the di- what's the digital equivalent? Are are yeah. we going to move towards is there a digital equivalent? I don't know. Is to there a point where like people, people can emulate like Nintendo games? I don't think <laughs> no. there is. Dude, emulation is a I thing. Think, I think people were saying this about floppy disks in the '90s. Like this is the future. These will just we'll we'll get we'll put more storage on these. These will get faster. But you can't like emulate hardware in that way, right? Like you can't emulate something that will scan a physical object. But play out Moore's law. Play out innovation play out all this kind of thing over 10 years once it's digital there's not a way to de-emulate it right like there's there's not a way that you can remove that from something that is possible there has to be hardware to read that no there doesn't to read the file i I mean at at some level there does (laughs) yeah there does but like (laughs) once you are working in digital files everything is built on something previously you can all do that old thing once you're away from physical media you don't have that there's no there's no constraint that way maybe maybe you're right maybe the world will be built with great backwards compatibility i know the xbox wasn't but dude maybe everyone else will be <laughs> we fucking can play nintendo games that was like 20 some years ago okay what if what if we can't read gifts in the future like we have this whole like <laughs> the cultural gift format is that will be lost. a gift it'll be a gift no, oh my god stop. all right we're over time uh anything you want to plug before we go yeah, it'd be great to plug like both like Dropbox and Visco, uh, both 
great, great companies and uh, are both actively searching for designers. Sweet. Um, Where can people find you? At McSheffrey on Twitter or uh, at Connor on Instagram. What a great handle. Dope. Dude, thanks for coming and hanging out. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Appreciate it. That was 116. I hope you enjoyed it. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Join our Slack team, spec.fm slash Slack. And if you're feeling extra kind, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews help. We love reading them. Or the- just normal kind. That's like par for the course, guys. <laughs> leave us a review. We love reading your feedback. Critique, comments, anything that's on your mind. We'd love to hear it. Before we go, huge thank you once again to the two sponsors that made this episode possible. Thank you once again to Dropbox. Dropbox are, they've been around for like, they've been with us for like a long time. Getting close to a year? Yeah, that's nuts. And we couldn't appreciate it more. They're an amazing tool. We've used them every day for several years, whether it's syncing my files or sponsoring our show. It's pretty amazing. So thank you so much to Dropbox. Check them out at dropbox.com. Also, huge thank you to our new sponsor, Etsy. Etsy's hiring product designers. Join their team. They're seriously one of the best teams in the industry. It's amazing. They're doing amazing work, impacting millions of creative people every single day. Go join them. It's a diverse, really inclusive, awesome team that cares about its people. You can learn more at etsy.com slash careers and tell them we sent you. So thank you once again to Etsy for sponsoring the show. See you on Wednesday with Dylan Field from Figma.